As far as series, this is our second week in our, our sex series. This is parents. This is kind of a PG-13 sort of a talk. But if you have younger than that, you might want to. We've got uh, child care and those things available. You might want to take advantage of that. Uh, when we were thinking about this series months ago, as far as what should we call it, we sat down around the table and we said, you know what, we've got to be real careful because this can be very offensive sort of thing. And so we just want to make sure we package this right. And we had all kinds of stuff and some of it, you know, semi-X-rated. We can't go down that road. But we said, okay, uh, we kept going back. What is it we're trying to say? Well, God's word uh, says sex is a good thing. Our, our world has made it a twisted thing, a hurtful thing in many situations, the, a wrong thing. The, the church, it's an unspeakable thing. But sex in scripture is a good thing. And when God created man and women sexually, he said, it is good. And so we're saying, saying, you know, if we have God's view of of our sexuality, then that is going to to go a long way towards our relationships, towards our sanctification, towards our living for him. And so we were saying, let's let's see what God's word says about this. So we decided, well, let's just call it good sex. What do you think? Okay. So that's where we, we came up with that title. Um, this is the second week in the series. If you weren't here last week, you want to download the podcast. It's a good foundation. Next week, th- this coming Saturday, let me remind you, even though Scott just said it, Christopher Yuan, he's a prophet, Moody Bible Institute. He was also at one point deeply involved in the gay lifestyle, heavy drug stuff, ended up in prison. Remarkable story. He and his parents will be here next Sunday to tell you that story. But Saturday night, He will be here to help us understand the Christian in homosexuality. What are we supposed to do with this? I mean, this is a runaway train. It's moving quick. I used to think that five years down the road, the church will probably not be able to do weddings anymore. If you can't do them all, you can't do any of them. Uh, Ten years down the road, we might lose our tax-exempt status. But now I'm at a point, I'm thinking three years down the road, we're not going to be doing weddings. Five years down the road, we'll probably lose our tax-exempt status. And beyond that, ten years down the road, I think, I'm afraid those who speak God's word out in the open may end up find prison, those kind of things. I don't know. This is moving in a scary sort of direction. But might it be an opportunity that we can use? Might we say, okay, God, this is where we are in our world How can we best honor you with this situation? What can we do to reach out, to to, to love, to hold to your word carefully and and accurately? Next Saturday night, that's what it's about. Different folk from different churches will be joining us. You want to be here for that. Okay. Um, I remember, I'm kind of shifting gears. My very first kiss, I was 16, 17. Uh, youth group was pretty small a youth group so anybody who came new stuck out like a sore thumb especially when they were as cute as Lori and so Lori showed up that, that night and you know you try to manipulate the games and stuff in order to get close to her and, and afterwards with the food we were talking and, that, and then we had a canoe trip in two weeks and we invited her and, and she came and you know how those you know you guys don't remember this right you're splashing each other with water and joking just flirting in all kinds of church ways um, then we would have uh, evening service uh, at our church and so she started coming to, to Sunday morning and Sunday evening and it, we would always go out for pizza after Sunday evening it's just what the youth did and of course she was coming and we were sitting next to each other all those things finally worked up the courage to ask Lori out and we were going to have a big youth rally with uh, several different churches and so I mean 
what could I do? She, she was new and she might need a ride to the youth rally. And so I called her up and I said, said what do you think? Would you like to come? Yes, I'll be happy to come. That was wonderful. So, uh, so I'm going to tell you, I went, bought, had my own money, went to Kmart, endowed myself. I was looking like a million bucks that night. We won't even go down that road. Um, get in the car. My brother Matt, who's three years younger than me, has to go to the youth rally with us because he's kind of a youth. So we go. She lives way out in the middle of nowhere, so we drive way out in the country, down this long driveway, past a couple of lakes, big home, way back there. Uh, pick up Lori. We go to the youth rally. Wonderful night. Then we go over for pizza because that's what we always did. Wonderful. Now it's time to take Lori home. And it's starting to get late. I'm thinking, oh, my poor brother. He needs to sleep. Right? He can't, he can't go all the way out to Lori's house and all the way back. This would be, this would be inhumane. I could get arrested or something for this. So I thought, I'm going to take him home. Just drop him off before I take Lori home. And so I went to the house and, and, and said, I'll be back in a second to, to Lori. And, and uh, Matt and I got out. I took him up to the front door. And okay, don't say anything. And, and let him in. I come back to my car, and you've got to understand, I've got a 72 Chevy Nova. We had a bench seat in that front seat. No, no bucket seat things. It was a bench seat, which means there was seat from door to door. I opened my door, and there's Lori sitting almost behind the wheel. I said, oh. Oh, so I kind of squeeze in there and close the door, and then I'm going to back up, right? So I've got to look back. Oh, okay, well, I'll just, all right, this is a comfortable position. Drove all the way to our house, out in the middle of the country, down that long driveway, past a couple of lakes. It's very dark because it's like midnight now. As we pull way back, you've just got two German shepherds that are going off. You know, I'm going, oh, you got, you got, your dogs are barking. You know, and she's, she says, yeah, but if we just sit here a while, they'll get quiet. I said, just, just, just sit here a while. Yeah, yeah, if we just sit here a while, they'll get quiet. I'm going, ah. So I, I open the door. I said, we can't have that happen. I open the door and we kind of both fall out. <laughs> and then I walk her to the back door. And again, we're out in the country. And so this is, you can't see anything. And so we had the conversation. I'm sure you had this conversation before. Uh, nice night. Yeah, nice night. Uh, thanks for coming with me. Yeah, thank you for inviting me. Nice night. Yeah, it's, it's a nice night. <laughs> this goes on and on and on. You've been down this road. So I'm thinking, I'm getting old here. I've got to go ahead and, and just kiss her, Mark. Would you kiss her? So, but you can't see because it's so dark. And so I miscalculated how tall she was, and I miscalculated how far she was from me. And she's much closer to me than I thought she was, and she was actually a, a, a bit shorter than I anticipated. And so I swung and kissed her on the eye really hard, though. <laughs> I think I gave her a black eye. I think I gave myself a bloody lip. And so I'm kind of working my way. I wasn't going to let that stop me, though. You know, I'm working my way down her, trying to find where her lips at. Where are they at? Bleed blood all over the place. I say, okay, good night. Go. I run into my car, and I have, you know, put on the radio, born to me while me. Yes, yes, I kissed the girl. I kissed the girl. No question. My body was tinkling. Every cell went alive. And I thought, oh, man, what is this? Even with such a wonderfully romantic kiss as that, believe it or not, it was still powerful inside me. I had turned a corner. This was a new era. Sexuality, powerful thing. Now, just uh, the the Lori thing, just so I close that story. Um, Next day was Sunday. She didn't come to church Sunday morning, Sunday night. Probably had a black eye, right? Um, Monday night, youth group. She didn't show up to youth group. I called her midweek, you know, to... See how she's doing. Maybe ask her out that following weekend. And honest to goodness, this is what I get. I get one of these. The number you are trying to reach has been changed. The new number is, is unlisted kind of thing. I'm going, 
Last time I'd ever seen Laurie. She just can't handle my kissing, I guess. You know? I was a Don Juan. Man, blinded that girl. Um, powerful stuff, though. It's, sex is a powerful, powerful thing. Now, hang on that for just a second. Because I think you'll agree with me that things, even kissing, when it's done right, is a very powerful deal. Automobiles are wonderful things when you keep them between the lines, right? Uh, when you keep them between the lines, they'll take you wherever you want them to go. It's fantastic. It beats walking. There, there's some great things. Um, I crossed the line once in, uh, I was 16 and wiped out my dad's Plymouth Fury and totaled the Chrysler LeBaron and didn't put these lady and her daughter in the hospital, but I hurt them. They're still, they're fine, I think. At least that's what their lawyer told me. Um, big mess, though. Big, big mess. Uh, if you stay between the lines, things are fine, but when you get outside the lines, bad. It's destruction. Butter knives. Right? You can use a butter knife. It, per, you can't find a better thing for smearing butter on bread than a butter knife. When we were candidating here, though, Therese was trying to use it, I don't know if it was a chisel or as a, a uh, screwdriver or something, maybe as a steak knife, but slipped and it ripped her skin, right? It was a, really a bad thing. Uh, something that can be used so good if you use it according to its manufacturer's suggested use. When you get outside that, though, it can create destruction. Fertilizer. You follow the directions on the fertilizer thing, and it brings growth and green, and it, it brings health. But if you pack a cargo van with fertilizer, and you run it in front of the federal building in Oklahoma City 20 years ago, and you ignite it, lots of destruction. So it's something that is meant for good. This is the ironic thing. Things that are meant for good and growth and health can be destructive when you don't use them properly. Now, likewise, our sexuality... God gave them to us, and as long as we keep them within the lines, powerful, powerful. But when we go outside the lines, all kinds of destruction. Uh, gravity is an amazing thing. Uh, you know, some people might want to say, I don't know why, but they might want to say, I'm just going to step off the cliff because of the adrenaline rush it's going to give me. Man, the free fall this is going to be really cool. Okay. But you're going to hit the ground sooner or later, and it won't be so cool. Um, we would say that person has no ability to complain right now because of gravity. They're just stupid, a stupid person. Um, gravity does, it's, does not a respecter of persons. It doesn't ask your age. Gravity doesn't care if you're sincere. Gravity doesn't care, care how many times you, you held on, and, or if you slipped, or if it was an accident, or what your last name is, or what your potential future is. Gravity just doesn't care. It's going to do its thing regardless. It just is. And it would be ludicrous, wouldn't it, for somebody who experiences gravity, they live without the reference of gravity, and then experience it to be upset and complain about mean old gravity and how unfair Mother Nature is. And what a, what a terrible... I'm just going to turn my back on all of science now because of my exploits with, with gravity. We would think that was ludicrous. But yet, people do this with their sexuality all the time, right here, correct? I, should, I have the right to practice my sexuality however, whenever, whoever, however I feel I might want to. And if anybody even hints that, that it's wrong and that there might be lines 
and that there are consequences if you get outside those lines, <laughs> we're going to shun anybody who, who even hints at that. We're going to imprison those who, who, who say such things. We're, we're going to um, boycott and march against and shut down and threaten with physical violence any organization or person who even, who even suggests that such a thing might be true. But if you are able to silence all voices that might warn about gravity, still, somebody walks off the cliff, consequences are still going to be the same because it is what it is. Gravity is what it is. A lot of people walk off the cliff sexually and they think it's their right and they ought to be able to do whatever they want to do and we please got to know God is not up there mean and saying okay therefore I'm going to zap this person and zap that person because they violated that's not how God operates that's the reason why God said stay within the lines it's because he knows if you go outside the lines, there's going to be destruction and pain. Deuteronomy tells us over and over and over again, if you're in the Holy Moses Project, that God's rules, his statutes, his ordinances are for our good. Do you think he just invented arbitrary rules? Well, I just want to ruin their fun. That's not God. He knows. He created us sexually. He created sex. And he knows how it's supposed to operate. So he said, for your good, just according to the manufacturer's suggested use. And things are powerful. Otherwise, they're destructive. Now, when folk fall off the cliff sexually, how many times have you heard, don't know what happened? Think, I, think it's just, I, just, I just don't know. It just kind of hit me broadside. And I just, I, we got to know, falling off the cliff is really not one step. There's a path to the edge of the cliff. And the wise person, according to Scripture, recognizes the path. And if you recognize the path that you're on, you know what? You, you don't have to go off the edge. If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to Proverbs chapter 7? Proverbs 7. And let me mention as, as, you're, as you're turning uh, what Proverbs is about a little bit. You've got a dad who is talking to his sons and he's telling them how to uh, make it in life how to honor God in life, how to succeed in life. And you know what's fascinating? This first nine chapters of Proverbs, guess what the number one thing this dad is warning his boys about? Sex, sexual immorality, over and over again. In one through nine of Proverbs, this, this dad is, is, is hammering it down to his boys. Now, even though it's a dad talking to his sons, all, every principle is, is absolutely 100% pertainable to, to gals. Don't, don't get lost there, gals. Also, throughout Proverbs, what the author does, just so you know, so it's not a chauvinistic book, but he will refer to folly as a woman. He will refer to uh, sexual immorality, the, the, the prostitute, the adulteress as a woman. But keep in mind also, he, he refers to wisdom as a woman, lady wisdom. He just uses the feminine through, throughout. Um, lets us know that you can be either good or bad with this, this thing. But in Proverbs 7, the dad is talking to his boys and he says this, verse 6. He says, at the window of my house, I looked out through the lattice and I saw among the simple. I noticed among the young men a youth who lacked judgment. He was going down the street near her corner, walking along in the direction of her house at twilight as the day was fading, as the dark of night 
set in. The first step on this path towards the cliff is, and I'm not sure what to call it other than cluelessness. It's it's clueless. He's looking out the lattice and he sees among the simple. He's a guy who is simple. Now in Proverbs, you've got three main characters. You've got the wise person. The wise person in the book of Proverbs recognizes that God's word is the blueprint for their life and they've embraced it. That's the wise person. Foolish person who recognizes that it may or may not be God's will for their life. Either way, they have rejected it. They have nothing to do with it. I am my own God. I'll call the shots. I'll tell you where, what is good and what's wrong and where I'm going and where I'm not going. I answer to nobody. Thank you very much. That's the fool in the book of Proverbs. The simpleton, different sort of guy. The simpleton could come to church. He's not somebody who has rejected God's will for his life, but he's not the one who has embraced it either. Just thinking about it, I guess. He's, he's gullible. He's naive. And the reason why he is is because he lacks judgment. He lacks judgment in this case. He's going down the street near her corner, walking along in the direction of her house at twilight as the day was fading as the dark of night set in. Now you've got to ask, why is this guy going here? I mean, he's definitely in the wrong place at the wrong time. We can all agree on that. Why is he there? How did he get there? Different different issues. Maybe he just got lost, right? He just went for a walk and doo-dee-doo-dee-doo and took a wrong turn. He was daydreaming about something and suddenly he finds himself in this neighborhood. Wow, where am I? Possibility to just get lost. This is ever happening. I was driving as a youth pastor in Chicago with a van full of suburban uh, kids from Wisconsin. We were going through Cabrini Green, which is a major project. Uh, It's not even there anymore, but just high rises. Very, 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 very bad. I mean, we were there doing kids' meetings one time, and a police car rolled up with four policemen. They rolled down the window. They didn't even get out, but they said, you can be here if you want. It's fine. But yesterday, last night, right where you're at, there was a shooting. There were two people killed. Be here if you want, but you're in the wrong neighborhood, guys. Anyway, so I'm driving through with the van. Uh, pull in, I thought it was a main street. Pulled into an alleyway. Got behind one of these big project buildings. There was a gang of... of, of there was a gang there. And I'm in the van with all my uh, suburban kids. We're going, whoa, okay. And so I'm going through the yard and going over the, the big curvy things and everything, trying to get out of there in a hurry. Sometimes we end up in the wrong place. We didn't mean it. It just, just happened. Um, sometimes that happens. Sometimes, and you ask this guy, maybe this guy just overestimated his own ability. He said, yeah, you know, I'm, I mean, I'm, nothing's going to happen. I mean, I've, I've got this. I mean, don't, I mean, really, I'm, I'm strong, but there's just something about, there's kind of a kick getting close, you know, getting into the, the excitement and the people, and the, the, it's just kind of exciting to me. And so I mean, I'm not going to do anything. I mean, how many times have we said it, kids? Come on, don't you trust me? Don't you think I know what's going on? And parents, you need to know that, let me give you an insight in your parents for a second, kids. The reason why they're so adamant is because they too once thought such things. And perhaps they walked into a situation that they thought they've got, they understood, and, and it came at them sideways. So they speak from ex- experience. So th- this, this guy thought, I had this. He was forgetting something really key. What he was forgetting is a biblical principle, all can fall. All of us can fall. Every one of us, all can fall. First Corinthians chapter 10, we have that text. Verse 12, 
It says, but if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Or good King James says, he who thinketh he stand, take heed lest he fall. You're saying, I've got this. I've got this covered. The Bible would say, simpleton. I mean, sexual temptation. King David, someone after God's own heart, had a pretty good quiet time. He fell. Uh, King Solomon, wisest man in the Bible according to God, he fell. What's to make you think you've got something on these guys? A, a wise person says sex is a powerful thing and I am a sexual being, therefore I should flee sexual immorality. That's what scripture says, get away from it because it's nothing that you can just handle. Maybe this guy wasn't there, though. Maybe he wasn't uh, overestimating his ability. Maybe he was underestimating the consequences. Maybe he said, we'll see what happens. Everybody's doing it. Eh, we'll see. We'll see. Maybe. Won't be too bad. Not, not a big issue. And so he, he walked in the wrong place at the wrong time. Step two. Then out came a woman to meet him dressed like a prostitute and with crafty intent. In parentheses, it says she is loud and defiant. Her feet never stay at home. Now in the street, now in the squares, at every corner she lurks. Second step. I'd say she catches his eye. He notices this girl, right? Now, it's not, is it sin to notice somebody is pretty? Is, is it sin even to be in the wrong place at the wrong time? Maybe... I wouldn't say it's sin. You know, sometimes it can be like 10 different kinds of stupid, but not necessarily sin. And he notices this gal. I remember when I first saw Teresa. You know, did I think, oh, there's a godly woman full of virtue and high integrity. She was those things. But I'll tell you, that's not what I thought when I first saw her. When I got in line and her, her brown hair was curled and her, she looked at me, big brown eyes, and she flashed that smile. And whoa, 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 whoa. A beautiful girl. Just a beautiful girl. Nothing wrong in noticing. We, we just, we do. But this gal was dressed seductively, right? She's not talking about he noticed she was pretty. She was dressed in such a way that would draw his attention to her body, that would make him think sexual thoughts, and they were working. Here's, here's the deal. When you meet somebody, if the first things that are popping into your mind are sexual... If you know of somebody, you've got a relationship with somebody, but because of the, uh, the level of, of flirting or what is said, what is not said, uh, dress comes in a lot of different ways. If it, first thing that comes in your mind is sexual, you need to recognize that you're, you're in a dangerous area. You need, you need to start backing away. Is she dressed like a prostitute with crafty intent? Uh, step three. Verse 13, she took hold of him and kissed him. Now, most probably, it was not like this massive passionate, like we'd see on, on television, Tom Cruise doing. It's not, probably not. Probably it was a more cultural thing. Now, still, she would have been out of line, but it was probably a Mediterranean sort of kiss on the cheeks, a hello kind of thing. Things on this side of the tracks where she's at, a little more informal, but so she is, is greeting him. Either way, though, the, the uh, physical line has... It's been broken. It's been breached. They are, uh, now, uh, there's been some contact made. And you know, as well as I do, that uh, 
touch always communicates. And it can communicate good things, right? It can communicate good things. It communicates warmth and acceptance in the right way. It can communicate genuine love or support. I'm behind you. But have you ever been around somebody? It just kind of creeps you out a little bit. You're going, I'm not sure. I... And there are folk, and let me just mention, if you are a hugger, they call them. I'm a hugger. Man, I just hug. That's who I am. I just hug. And it's what I'm about. And it's how I'm wired. I just hug. That's, it's my, my love language is hugging. I'm just a hugger. You need to know if you're a hugger, not everybody's a hugger. And if you hug a non-hugger, they're not saying, oh, this is great. Matter of fact, they've got all kinds of things going through their mind. This is, it's, it's, it's perhaps repulsing them. Just huggers know that if you're hugging the wrong person, they're going to try to avoid you in the future. Because they don't, that's awkward for them. They're not interested in going down that road. Also huggers, know, know this, that sometimes when you hug somebody, you're not sure where they've been. And therefore, you're not sure how they're going to interpret uh, this. And so because of that, you might need to back off. Also, huggers, I would say that sometimes it's difficult to discern your own heart and your own motivation. And so if you're given to hugging, that's your deal. You, you just might want to back off at, at, at some point. Physical, once the physical gets involved... It's the law of diminishing returns, right? And I understand single people, I got it down. This is part of the American dating scene, as it were, on, on one level. But you got to know the law of diminishing returns is, is, is holding the hand is really powerful. It feels like a kiss with Lori. It's really powerful at first, but then after a while, you know, it's just a stupid hand. You, know, you got to have your arm around the shoulder, around the waist. And then after a while, I mean, because at first that's powerful, but then it's not so powerful anymore. And you, you have to hug. And now the hugging is longer and on and on and on. Law of diminishing Diminishing returns in any kind of, of relationship. If that is moving, you're moving that direction. No, there's it's moving towards the cliff. That's 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 the, that's the idea. Then she she talks to him in verse 14. But notice right before that, it says, "With a brazen face," she said. That means she's going to talk to him, but we're not sure if what she's saying is true. She's talking to him. But she's not showing all of her cards. She's not letting him know her real motivation, where she's really at with this. She says in verse 14, I have fellowship offerings at home. Today I have fulfilled my vows, so I came out to meet you. I looked for you and have found you. I call step four, inappropriate listening. You say, what? Inappropriate? <clears throat> Let me explain this, this. When she says... I have um, fellowship offerings at home. Today I fulfilled my vows. If she's Jewish, and Solomon, these guys are, guy who wrote this, most of the time hanging out in Jerusalem, good possibility she's Jewish. According to Leviticus, if she'd offered a fellowship offering, what would happen is she'd take her lamb to the, the temple, they sacrifice the lamb, the priest takes a little bit, uh, then they give her a good portion. And what she's supposed to do with this meat is she's supposed to have a party with it. She's supposed to have a barbecue. She's supposed to have a big picnic. But rules are all of it has to be eaten before the morning. And so she's coming to this guy saying, I, I, I fulfilled my vows, but I've got this fellowship offering. Can you help me out? I, I, I need you to help me. Now, I don't know if it's something that God built into us or it's sociological. But for a guy 
we want to rescue the damsel in distress, don't we? We want to help. And if, if, if a girl is struggling and she needs help, and, and I can help her, and I can solve her, I can be the Messiah for this, this is, she, we're captivated, we're in. Oh, yeah, I, I will help. How about, thank you, you're the only one that really understands me. You're the only one I can share these things with. You're the only one that will help me through this. All right. Well, I will, I will do that then. I will help. Can you help me with this? Because no one else has your wisdom or insight. Well, absolutely I can. That's what I'm supposed to do. You're a struggling, hurting person. And that's who I am. I'm here to help you. That's my job to help you. Let me just mention, gals, if you are needing somebody to help you through an issue or problem, please find a, a, a gal to do it. And guys, if there's a gal at your work or wherever else who's got a problem and she needs you to help her and she needs you to listen to her, help her find another woman to do that. But you do not need to be there with that. But also, look what she says. She says, so, I came out to meet you. I've looked for you and I've found you. I've been searching for you all my life. All those others, well, those others, but you... Oh, you're so strong, or you're so wise, you're so witty, or you're so wonderful, you're so understanding, you're so something. You are above everybody else. You are so special. And now, here's the deal for all of us, right? We want to be in a relationship with somebody who thinks that we're special, right? And we want to be in a relationship with somebody who, who thinks that we're just wonderful, a wonderful, wonderful person who thinks that we're better than everybody else, who has deep love for us, who, who thinks that we're incredible. They believe in us. That's what we want. And she's pouring it on thick. You're the only one who can help me. You're, you're the only one in, in, that I want to help me kind of thing. He's listening. Let me expand on this for a second. You're at... Uh, Work, you're in a project with somebody, opposite sex, and they start sharing, you're just sharing uh, surfacey things. But then one day the conversation goes a little bit deeper. And it goes into the personal arena, maybe a vulnerable personal arena, where maybe he has shared things with you that represent hurt or unfulfilled dreams or things that he hasn't shared with anybody else, maybe not even his spouse. Very dangerous very dangerous maybe they'll end the conversation or the words that will be said somewhere along the line thank you you'll never know how special you are to me that kind of thing the the number one sex organ is our mind and the closest thing to our mind closest way in are through our eyes and through our ears Uh, please don't underestimate that she was going that direction with him. If you're not a sexual simpleton, if you're on the path, you realize once that gets rolling. Let me show you something that, that uh, I'm sure I came out with a preached uh, years and years ago. It's called the Wheel of Destruction. Uh, it starts with, see the top C. You see somebody, you're just at the club or whatever else, you're at work and you see somebody and it's, wow, well, you haven't seen this person before. Or maybe you have several times, but you just kind of notice, oh, they're kind of cute. Nothing wrong with that, right? No sin. But you go back to your office, you go back to your home, you go back to wherever, and you're doing whatever, and you find your mind thinking about them. Nothing bad, nothing trashy, just seeing them smile, whatever. Oh, yes, that's nice. They're, but they're a nice person. 
So you, the inquiring about them is just that thirst. Uh, I wonder about this about them. I wonder that about them. I wonder if they're married. Not that it makes any difference. I just, I just wonder. And we, we wonder about them, about their life, about their history. And then we, we desire to be with them. And, and so we maybe we, we cross in the hall or whatever else and we, we stop and, and we share. And it's just laughing. We, we, we have a fun time. The, the conversation is very safe. It's all wonderful. But we find ourselves thinking about them. We end the conversation, just reach down and grab their hand, a little squeeze. Nothing, nothing sinful. Next time we walk into the room, no, the wheel keeps rolling though. So next time we walk into the room, we're not just seeing them, we're looking for them. Where are they? Where are they? Oh. And we find ourselves thinking about them more. Maybe when we're at home and our spouse is being an idiot or, or we're really lonely or we're really whatever, we find ourselves almost obsessing about them. And so we begin to thirst for them more. Nothing bad, nothing sexual. We're just wondering who they are and what they're about. And, and we take delight in them. Well, who wouldn't? Because they're just a wonderful person. We're just friends. And so as you have more conversation, you... you, you Manipulate the circumstances to be around them. You know this? You go to the coffee machine when you think they're there, or the copy room when you think that might be there, or at the club when you think they're there, or when they're out mowing their lawn, you're going to go out and work on your yard as well. Somehow you're going to manipulate the circumstances to be around them because maybe a conversation will happen. You just want to be around them. You don't know why. It's, they just, they're just a neat person, that's all. And then it's a, a, a hug or a longer hug, or a prolonged hug, the wheel keeps rolling and rolling. And nothing sexual yet, but physically. But please know, know this. When I was going through premarital counseling, my uh, guy who was doing our counseling said something I'll never forget. He said, Mark, beware of emotional adultery, because emotional adultery destroys I've said that to myself a thousand times. Beware of emotional adultery because as this wheel is rolling, you know what? The hearts are being knit together. It's just, just, just ropes and then it's uh, uh, cables and the hearts are being mashed. And you've got to know where, where emotional uh, intimacy is. Physical intimacy is not that far. That's the way that God wired us. Let me ask you married people. Are you on this wheel with somebody other than your spouse? I think that's a fair question. I think somebody needs to ask us that on occasion. Are you on this wheel with somebody other than your spouse? Didn't even see it. You're kind of like the simpleton. I didn't even know. What, I didn't understand. But when I step back, try to get out of it, oh yeah, I guess. And you know what you need to do then. Whatever it takes to step back from that. Let's just that uh, inappropriate listening. Well, then she comes out with uh, the invitation. Verse 16, I've covered my bed with colored linens from Egypt. I've perfumed, perfumed my bed with myrrh and aloes and cinnamon. Come, let us drink deep of love till morning. Now, not all invitations are as crass and straight up as this, gals. Um, and it sounds kind of kind of goofy what she's talking about but um, this, this is really something special here in this regard this lady was obviously very wealthy because the average person did not have furniture only the very wealthy had furniture it would have been like a, a big wooden frame with lots of pillows in, inside it 
she didn't just drop her spice cabinet in it by accident. Um, these are um, very costly spices. Some might say these are aphrodisiacs. And so, do you, no, do you see? No, get, get this for a minute. Um, because this gal is, is, is approaching sight. She's appealing to his uh, uh, touch. She's sound, her words. She's appealing to sense of smell as well. Now, what the author is saying is sexual morality comes at us in lots of different ways. It's not stupid. It's not, it's not, uh, it doesn't know what it's doing. She's got crafty intent. She knows where she's going. She knows what's going on. She says, come, let us drink our deep love uh, till, drink deep of love till morning. Let's enjoy ourselves with love. Now, Two things I noticed from this. One is I noticed there's a lack of commitment here, right? I mean, this is, this is a, a relationship that's going nowhere. She, she says uh, it's only going to last till morning, by the way. And then, then she's going to go on. She's going to say, my husband is not at home. He's gone on a long journey. He took his purse filled with money. He won't be home till full moon. In other words, he's got, he's got a lot of business to do. He's got his purse filled with money. So he's going to L.A. Then he's going to go to Singapore. He's going to go to Australia. Don't, he's going to be gone a long time. Inference is, he's coming back though, and when he does, he's still going to be my husband. She's got no intent of leaving her husband for this guy. This is a dead-end relationship. Something you might want to think about, single person. Is you're going down the road with somebody, is this the kind of person you would want to spend the rest of your life with? If not, I would suggest don't go down the road with them. Back off. This lack of commitment is uh, uh, what has destroyed sex. Sex within the lines between a, a, a man and woman in the context of marriage is, is magic. But sex, when it gets outside the line, is, is destructive. When you tell somebody, I want to be physically naked with you, but not emotionally, I'm not going to be vulnerable with you in any other way, this is just for me, then this is uh, sex outside the, the, the lines. It's like any other addiction. It becomes in time less pleasurable, less meaningful, less powerful. But in the context of a healthy marriage, it becomes much, much deeper. That's the way it's supposed to. You know, Tim Keller, this interesting uh, comparison with sex, but he says sex is like communion, the Lord's table, believe it or not. And this is his thinking. He says in the Lord's table, what that is is it's a reminder. It's a reminder of how much he loves me. And it's a reminder of how much I love him. And everything going on in life is stopped, and I'm able to focus on, oh, yeah, he paid a big price for me. He, he belongs to me. I belong to him. Oh, that's right. And it's, it's a reminder of your relationship with the Lord. And he says sex is the same way between a man and wife in marriage. It's a reminder. And it's not just a, a physical thing. And therefore, when you get it outside the lines, it's just, it devalues it. It, 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 it can never be what God intended it to be. They're also, she seems to, she's not done. She, she seems to uh, go straight out after the, the final concern this man might have. I'm going to get caught. Consequences. She says, oh, no, no, no. She says, my husband's not at home. This is the voice of temptation, right? Voice of temptation doesn't matter. The temptation always minimizes consequences, right? We're not going to get caught. There's no way. 
This can't go wrong. This is only going to be a good thing. It's only going to be powerful. No, Scripture's going to counter that. Verse 21, with persuasive words, she led him astray. She seduced him with her smooth talk. All at once he followed her like an ox going to the slaughter, like a deer stepping into a noose till an arrow pierces its liver, like a bird darting into a snare, little knowing it will cost him his life. Sex is not just a physical activity. When you get it outside the lines, there are deep emotional, psychological consequences. Mark Renegris, he's a sociology professor at University of Texas. He's written a lot about this. Um, and there's a, a, a lot of places you can go with this one. But um, gals who've had multiple partners are 11... Pers- they, they report clinical depression 11% more times than, than or 11, no, 11 times more likely to uh, come up with uh, manifest clinical depression than their counterparts. Um, people will say, well, we need to live together first to see if we're sexually compatible, and then we're going to get married. But people who live together, lots of studies on this, um, have a uh, 33% chance, a greater chance of getting divorced than those who have not. Uh, males who are virgins when they get married have, uh, how did we say that, 37%, you get the exact number, I think it's 37%, 37% less chance of divorce. Gals who are virgins when they get married, 24% less chance of divorce. And reason may be, if somebody loves their future spouse so much, that even right now, I'm willing to do the hard work. If somebody who is so much looking to honor God that they're willing to do hard work before they get married, they're probably willing to do hard work in maintaining that marriage. It's like a character issue. I used to have an internship for aspiring youth pastors. And I would go through, one of the lessons we went through was uh, what happens is you fall sexually because it's somewhat common and quite unfortunately, lots of different reasons, a lot of the girls can develop crushes on their youth pastor. But I would mention to these guys, now if you do, just so you know a couple of things, and I would produce this long list and give it to them, A, you're going to lose your position here, B, you probably will be out of ministry all over the place, C, good odds would say you're going to lose your marriage, therefore if you have kids, odds are you're now going to be seeing them every other weekend, if you want want that, you're going to be great shame on not just your spouse, but on your parents, on your siblings, of course on your, your children, you want to go down that road, you have also worked very hard to break up another marriage and bring shame on them and on their parents and siblings, what have you done to the name of Christ? We would go on and on. I would tell um, singles, listen, one day, you, if you, once you find the person that you, you're going to marry, most probably you're going to have the talk. No, you know, the talk where you put it on the table, okay, where have you been sexually? Let's talk about past sexual history. At that point, what are you going to want to say? Better yet, what are you going to want your future spouse to say? Perhaps today we need to live like how we want our future spouse to answer that question. Teenage guys, let me just mention this. If you get sex outside the lines, 
and the gal you're with, for whatever she conceives, and for whatever reason, marriage isn't in the picture. I'm not saying it should always be in the picture. But you do need to know, legally, you're responsible for this child. And so, until you're 18, your parents will support this child's child support. And then, after you're 18, until that child is 18, you will pay child support. And then, can you imagine, you're, you find somebody that you really want to marry, but you've got, you've got to now explain what's going on financially and how come you can't bring all your money home. You have to go, and you've got a child somewhere who doesn't know their dad very well. Can God forgive? Yes, 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 yes. That's what he does. He's into that. Can God redeem? Yes. But to say there'll be no hurt or complication or hurdle that you're going to have to deal with in life, it's just not true. You don't have to go down that road. You don't have to go down that road. There are consequences. And a simpleton, sexual simpleton, underestimates them. Not a big thing. I can deal with it. Now, what if you've, you've already went off the cliff? You know, you're saying, well, pff, thanks, I wish I needed I need this message years ago. Uh, what, if, what if you've already gone off the cliff? Then what you do is, 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 is you need to do what every other person who knows Christ in this room has done. You bring it to him. You go to the foot of the cross. Because he'll forgive every sin. Because every sin is sin. Yes, he'll forgive. That's what he does. That's why he died. And as you come to him, you, you, you say, Lord, I... I I, I have tr- trespassed your law. I've got it outside the lines. And maybe you didn't know him, you didn't know any better, and, and maybe you did, and, and, and still you, 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 they call that repenting. Yeah, you're confessing. And you surrender your life. Please, I, I, I don't want to go down that road. I give you every area of my life, in the, even this area, and ask him to forgive you. And you know what? He will. And through his spirit, he'll give you the power to, to deal with what you need to deal with. And even has an ability, our God, to make it beautiful. Maybe you're in a situation where you haven't stepped off the cliff yet, but you're thinking about it, or you're on that path, and you've been walking down that road. Maybe what you need to do after this morning is, is back up, wake up, and say, you know what, maybe there's a relationship you need to sever maybe there's some guardrails you need to put around your life to protect your life for, for that future day. I, I was uh, junior high, and I heard a talk on, you know, save yourself for your spouse and all those things. Uh, so I went out. No one knew this, but I went out, and I saved my money, and I bought a little locket, a little gold locket. Uh, and it, for me, it represented my sexual purity, and I wanted to give it to my wife one day. But I knew if I opened that locket with anybody else, I was not going to be able to. Now, I got married when I was 28 years old. So I had a lot of, a lot of time. You need to know, between that time when I was a junior high kid and 28, lots of opportunities, passion, lots of opportunities to open that locket. And I just knew if I did, I couldn't with my spouse one day. One of the most wonderful experiences in my life was when Teresa and I stood on the, the, the platform in my wedding and I pulled that locket out and I put that around her neck. And it makes, makes me choked up talking about it. And uh, I just said, this belongs to you. And I, I tell you what, it took me a, it was hard to keep it for you, but this belongs to you. Maybe, maybe, single, with your junior high, 
or maybe you're college, or maybe you're, you're, you're divorced or a widower. Whatever your past, forget that for a minute. You can say that from this point on, till if God brings me somebody or brings me somebody else, I'm going to honor him sexually. I'm going to honor him sexually. And, and if, if he brings me somebody, that, and if he doesn't, I'm still going to honor him sexually with my life because he's my Lord. We're not, I'm not going to be a sexual simpleton. I'm not going to step off the cliff and spend the rest of my life coping and dealing with. I'm going to honor him with my, with my body. Would you pray with me?